wonderful. Well, it's Good Friday, and it is a Good Friday. I'm so glad to see you here in church. I really didn't know how many people would come this morning because I was just thinking maybe so many people have gone away because, like, this is the first Easter in, like, three years that you could. So uh, I honour you for coming to church this morning, and I want to thank you. You know, when I was young, I never really liked Good Friday because it was a boring day, right? Nothing was open. My parents, who came from a Catholic tradition, were very kind of like, no, you can't do anything fun today, right? It's just a somber day. And they would go to church twice in one day, which for me was like terrible back then when I was young. There was only four television stations, young people. Four television stations, that's all. No Foxtel, nothing like that. No games, anything like that. I remember the first time I saw an electronic game, I was about 18 years old and it was this little black, white thing and and it was like a mouse catching a ball right and it was awesome like we just loved it so much so you know there was nothing to do we didn't understand I didn't have any understanding of what Good Friday was about and I thank God that at 20 years old I met Jesus Christ and I understood what Good Friday was all about that God was wanting men and women to come back to him so this morning Even though I was bored when I was young on Good Friday, I pray that this message doesn't bore you, right? And that you receive something out of it. So let me just pray. Father, I ask that you would help me communicate what's on your heart, oh God. Father, that that people would see afresh the power of the death and resurrection of your Son, oh God. Father, I pray that you would help me communicate what you were saying when you wrote these words all those years ago. When Jesus said these words, help me, oh Lord, to communicate some of the pathos behind that in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. We're going to go through a passage of Scripture today. And at first reading, it may be a little bit hard to understand, but I want to promise you it's just a fantastic description of what we're doing this weekend. So let's go through the passage from John 12. Now just for you, just for you, the the last pretty much third of the book of John is really about the last days of Jesus, right? So, So, so much of the book of John is really just about those last couple of weeks about what's happening. So this is right at the end of Jesus's life, not long before he's going to be crucified and then resurrected. So John 12, verse 23, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So Jesus was glorified. Truly, truly. So when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, really listen to this. Truly, truly. Like this is something very, very important. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears. You can do better than that. If it dies, it. Thank you. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honour him. You know, truly, There are very few better representations 
of what this weekend is, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, than in this passage of Scripture that I've just read. You know, this Easter weekend, we commemorate and we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on Good Friday and three days later on the Sunday, He was resurrected. And this is what we celebrate and commemorate. It didn't happen this particular weekend. We don't really know when all of the things actually happened, but we commemorate it and we celebrate it. So I want to give you a little bit of background of what's happening at this time when Jesus says this Scripture, and then we're going to actually go through the Scripture. So it's a really interesting time. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Seeing Lazarus raised from the dead is a significant miracle. Jesus had seen people come back from the dead, but almost every time then that person had just died or it wasn't long since they had died. But Jesus takes three days before he even goes to Lazarus. And that's, that's important. Jesus went and saw Lazarus raised after being in the grave for three days because the Jews believed that the spirit of a person stayed with the body until three days after death. So that really the person wasn't really kind of being woken from the dead, but they were just waking up. So he's saying, no, I'm going to make sure that you realise what a miracle this is. This guy has been in the grave for three days. Well, that's three days, probably four days by the time Jesus gets there. And they go, don't open the grave. It's going to smell. They're, they've already taken of a granite that there's going to be decomposition, that it's not going to be very good. So, so one of the things I love about this story, though, if you think about it, is it actually shows what a normal person Jesus was in that Jesus had friends. See, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. He doesn't hold any position in Jesus' ministry. We never read him uh, about him in any other place. He wasn't one of his disciples. He wasn't one of his apostles. And, and, and the Bible describes him by saying this, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. How good would that be? That your reputation is that Jesus, he loves me. That's, you know, like, there goes Mark. That's the guy that Jesus loves. I, I would love people to say that, and hopefully you do believe that Jesus does love me. Right? So he's known by all to be loved by Jesus. I just think that's, I just think that's fantastic that Jesus just had friends. It wasn't just about ministry. It wasn't just about doing this, doing that, that he had people that were friends, and people knew who his friends were. Hey, that guy who you love, your friend, he's ill. And Jesus knows that he's ill and knows that he dies and then waits. But back to the scripture I read out. So when Jesus says this scripture, it's after the raising of Lazarus. So the atmosphere of Jerusalem is electric. The raising of Lazarus is actually the talk of the town. Lazarus himself has become a celebrity. He's like a celebrity. He's like, you know, his celebrity's always been around. The Bible says that people aren't just coming to hear Jesus or maybe get a miracle from Jesus, but many of them are coming just to see Lazarus, the one that Jesus had raised from the dead. It's like, I remember where I was times. You know, we all remember where we were when we heard about 9-11. We all remember where we were for some of the older people when Princess Diana died. 
Well, people remembered where they were when they heard about the fact that Lazarus has been raised from the dead after four days. You know, the Pharisees, they're certainly talking about it. They're they're upset. They see that all these people that once were listening to them are all of a sudden wanting to hear this Jesus, wanting to hear what, what Jesus had to say. So they actually have a meeting. They have a meeting about what do we do? Our power's being taken away. People are stopping listening to us. We can't let that happen. What are we going to do? You think about that. People are having a meeting because God's moving, but they're meant to be God's representatives. Right? God's doing what they're so hopefully are praying for, and all of a sudden they're having a meeting about how we can stop this. They didn't like it one little bit. But the high priest, because God is just God, and I love his sense of humour, the high priest then prophesies exactly what Easter, what the death and resurrection is all about. This is what he says in John eleven fifty. It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Isn't that amazing? Trying to stop what God is doing, the Pharisee actually prophesies or the high priest actually prophesies what's going to happen. One man is going to die for the people so that we don't all have to die. That's the message of the gospel right there. One man took his sin, took our sin upon himself so that none of us have to face death. None of us have to face what it is we've done through our sin. You see, the gospel is everywhere in the gospels. The gospel is all truer. It's not a mystery. It's not a secret. Jesus didn't hide these things. He's actually quickly and and clearly telling us. So the Pharisees not only want to kill Jesus, but they actually also want to kill Lazarus because he's a living testimony to the power and the message of Jesus. So death and resurrection are being seen everywhere in the atmosphere of Jerusalem. In the corridors of power and in the streets, the people are talking about death and resurrection. Come, Jesus is in town. Jesus is coming. Let's go look at Lazarus. Let's maybe see if he's got any scars. I wonder what he saw. Did he see the light? You know, like while he was waiting there, dead. And so what happens, we see Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey which feels another prophecy of the Messiah. And people are throwing palm trees down and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Can you see why the Pharisees aren't happy? Right, imagine that. They're supposed to be the rulers. They're the ones who have got all the power. And all of a sudden they see all these people going, Hosanna. Here's the one who comes in name, not even the king of Israel. The crowds of people are there, not so much only to honour Jesus, but they came because they wanted to see the one who did the amazing miracle and the one who had seen the amazing miracle. Look at John 12, 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard that he had done this sign, speaking of the raising of Lazarus. So, Let's continue. Let's continue setting the scene for where Jesus speaks his text. So John 12, 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. 
So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to go and see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, just a little aside, nothing to do with my message. But I just think it's interesting because once again, we see that Jesus, just a normal person who had to deal with normal things. Notice that Jesus had protocols around him. You couldn't just walk up to Jesus and, and end up talking to him. No, you had to talk to Philip, who then talked to Andrew, and then they went to Jesus. Jesus had security. There were people who were trying to kill him. Could you imagine the chaos that would have been if anyone could have just come? There would have been nothing happening because Jesus wouldn't have been able to do what he was meant to do. Jesus never would have had the time to do what he was actually sent to do. Sometimes we romanticise what it was like being around. But at different times I've been when there's been a very well-known guest speaker and you see the chaos, you see the things of people trying to touch. I remember being very in a meeting one day and T.D. Jakes was preaching and he went down on the floor and he started to pray for people. And then all of a sudden this massive crowd of people just come and jump and they're trying to touch him. And he got back on stage and he was mad. And he goes, I am just a man. I'm not God. I'm just a man. And he was angry because people were trying to touch. And that's what it would have been like for Jesus even the more. Jesus always had to go and take him places alone. He'd go sit on a boat because it was just crazy around where Jesus was. So nothing to do with my message. But it does show you the power of us introducing someone to Jesus. We know Jesus, but we can then introduce someone else to Jesus. Hopefully today you've used the uh, production that we're going to do this afternoon as an opportunity. Come and meet Jesus. Here, here's an invitation. I know Jesus. Come and meet. Come and hear what Good Friday is all about. Hopefully you've done that. So that's just my musing and observations. Nothing to do with the text this morning. So now we're finally where I started. We're at the Scripture, and I'm going to read it again. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears better. Whoever loses his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Jesus, like almost every other time that he speaks, uses the vernacular of the day. He uses an analogy that the people who were listening would be able to understand. Jesus wants to be understood. It's great to have good doctrine and theology, and and the Bible tells us to do that. But never be confused or, or taken away from the simplicity that's just in Christ Jesus. Just knowing Christ Jesus. It's simple. And Jesus always wants it so that we can understand it, that we can know it. He wants to explain that he's about to die and he's about to be resurrected. So once again, we see that it wasn't a mystery. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't something that Jesus was trying to hide from people. He was plain, so plain, in fact, that he uses an analogy that they understand. He wants to explain his death and resurrection. So he uses a seed, something that everyone could understand. A grain of wheat, unless it dies, 
it can't bear fruit. Unless it dies, it can't bear fruit. And in a year where our catch cry is fruit, oh, you can do better than that. In a year where our theme is fruit, that's good. That's better. Still not as great, but not bad. See, it's under the hard, unappealing outer coating of the seed. That's where the action is. The seed has to be planted and die for there to be fruit for the harvest to come. Jesus is giving us this picture. He says, you can't tell the potential of the seed from the outside coating. You can't do that. On the outside, Jesus in his humanity doesn't look divine. His outward humanity covers his inward deity and it has to die for his divinity to be able to come forth for there to be a harvest. It was in his death in his, and his resurrection that the true harvest of Christ's divinity comes out. That's why he says it is finished because his role was to die for our sin, to conquer death. He says, it is finished. As I said at the start of this message, he hasn't finished. God's still doing work, but the work of Christ was done. A fruit had come out. He died as the seed and then fruitfulness come out and we are that fruit. How good is that? Death and sin cannot hold him. And it's called the incarnation. And what that means is that God who was in heaven became man. And that man was Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. God came from heaven, came to earth as a man and bore our sin and bore our judgment and conquered death. That's what happens on the cross. Just in case people don't get it, Jesus then makes it personal because the death and resurrection of Christ was never meant to just be a theory. It was never meant to just be something that we only commemorate or only just celebrate every once a year. It's something that we live in every single day. We live the death and resurrection of Christ in our lives. He says some things that seem to make no sense because he goes from speaking generally about death and resurrection to speak about his own death and resurrection. Whoever loves his life loses and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's saying life is not actually about this world. See, if you make your life only about the here and now, about what you eat and wear, about your position or about your appetites, then you'll actually lose it. But if you make your life about eternity, about the purpose of God that He has for your life, then you will gain eternal life. You know, Jesus in His humanity didn't want to go to the cross. On the night before, He's in the garden 
and he's so kind of upset or, or so stirred about what he has to do that the Bible says he actually sweats drops of blood. And he's saying, God, if you can possibly do it another way. His flesh was going, I don't want to do it. I don't want to die. And what happens is that he says, but not my will, but your will. In our Christian walk, there's all these things. I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to follow that, God. I don't want to serve you in this way, God. I don't want to. But you have to die to that so that you can live. Every day, death and resurrection come to us. You have that, oh, I'm going to sin. I really want to do that. But I'm not going to do that. The who God is, is greater than the desire to do that. See, I'm going to die. I want to do that. If I, it wouldn't even be tempting if I didn't want to do that. But I have to live the death and resurrection of Christ. And when I say no, when I walk away from that, this freedom that comes upon me is wonderful. It's excellent. So in verse 27, it says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. See, if Jesus had come only to meet need, he would have been a terrible failure. When he's on that cross, there are people still in lots of need. There are people who are still at all sorts of worldly needs, but he didn't come for that. He met need when it came across his place. He did great signs and wonders and, and he definitely was helpful to anyone who came to him, but that was not his purpose. As I said, I have come for this purpose. I've come for this hour. This is why I'm here, for what I'm about to do. I don't want to do it. It's not my will, but I'm going to die. See, every time you have to die, it's like, I don't want to die, right? I don't want to die, but that's what Christianity is, to be honest. It's dying to self so that Christ will live through you. That's what it's about. And so we see the cross, we see all those things, but what happens is that it's Jesus. It's, it's, it's Jesus saying, this is my purpose. I am come for this hour. He gives up his life that we may find ours. He is the seed, the grain of wheat that died to bear much fruit. See, bearing fruit in the kingdom of God is not about following your own will and desires. It's about finding that purpose that God has for you and living and dying for that. The that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. You know, one of the pillars of our church in our mandate is that we would find the, the, the that for which Jesus took hold of you. There's, there's something inside of you that is kingdom orientated, that, that wants, that desires the things of the kingdom. And that's what you're to pursue. That's what you're to go after. But to go after that, you have to die to this. It would be great if it was just easy. I can just walk over here. But it's in the dying to self 
that you gain that true life in Christ. And Jesus says this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. See, losing your life for him is serving him. To serve, you must follow. How can you serve if you're not where the master is at? If you're not looking for the, for the, for the nod or the, the thing of the master, you're not a good servant. A servant needs to be attentive to what his master wants. You know, many, many years ago, Nina and I went to uh, Kota Kinabalu. It's in uh, uh, Borneo. And we stayed at a really nice resort. And uh, a pastor there asked me to speak at the church. And so I did that on a Sunday morning and I was really sick. I was really sick. I just, I'd got some, eaten something or done something or whatever, I don't know, but I was really sick. And then I prayed for people and, and I was just tired. And I just wanted to go to bed after and I was just, because I was just feeling sick and sorry for myself. And the pastor, he said, he goes, the owner of the resort wants to have lunch with you. Right? So he's like, literally, he owns the whole resort and he's probably the richest person I've ever met. And he wanted to have lunch with me. So I said, Oh, I don't, I'll eat, but I, I'm not, you know, I don't know how good company I'm going to be because I'm pretty, pretty sick. And we went and talked to him. And this guy is probably the richest. He, he had a boat, right? This is how rich he was. He had a boat that he sold to Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> right? But he told me that he had 13 uh, kind of crew on the boat just to make this boat work, right? He had 13 uh, crew. He also said the best day in a man's life is when they buy a boat. The second best is when they sell it again, right? But he said, he goes, I, I, I had an English crew. He goes, I tried to use a local crew, but they didn't understand. They didn't understand my looks. They didn't understand what I needed. So I'd be doing business and doing something and all of a sudden they'd come in and interrupt. He goes, the English crew always understood. This time they could come in and that time they couldn't. They understood. He goes, so it cost me a lot more, but I had to have an English crew because they were able to understand the needs of the master, so to speak. They were attentive. And that's how God wants us to live. He wants us to live attentive to what he's asking us to do. So let me finish with this, and maybe the band can come. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. I love the engineering of God. I always say God is a genius, and I see it again in this. I love the way that God works. See, it seems like what God is asking us to do is hard. It's owners to die. That to follow God is all about sacrifice and what you have to give up when it's actually God wanting to honour us. That's what he has. In one sense, the most selfish thing that you can do is to actually turn it back, turn your back on what you want to do, die to that and follow all it is that God has for you because he wants to honour you. Following your own way, no matter how successful you become, only leaves you with an aching emptiness and, 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 and what you're desiring is never actually fulfilled. 
If you reach the highest of highs, there's, there's someone else who's got something better. It's never actually fulfilling. Look at the litany of celebrities with all the fame and all the money that they have and all the stuff that we think is so great. But they're still addicted. They're still sad. They're living miserable lives. Many are, are unable to have long-term friendships. It promises so much to get everything that you want, but it actually delivers so little. And that's the opposite. It's almost like in Christ, I die to that. How can that be good? But then I'm honoured in the things of God and I live according to my purpose. I live for the very reason that I'm alive. There's the God way to find your that, to give your life for that. You know, I, I make lots of mistakes. I do lots of things wrong. I'm, I'm human in so many ways. I have desires and things and, and that, but I do want to say that I endeavour to have my direction towards God. So I might trip, I might stumble every now and again, but my stumbling is at least in the direction of God. Right? And my stumbling is, in, is in at least in the direction of life, in the direction of what God would have for me. And that's, that's what it is. I'm not saying that you've got to live perfect because no one can do that. But the death and resurrection of Christ, tell me, live in the direction with your life directed to the things of God. See, God will honour you. God will celebrate you. You'll have more than what you ever need. Press down, shaking together and brimming over. That's how your blessing shall be. It's amazing. Seek your own life and you'll lose it. Seek after the life that God has for you and you'll gain everything. That's the power of the cross. Jesus died and gave His life as a ransom for many. That many is you and me. That is you and me. Jesus thought of you when He died on that cross. We are the fruit of Him dying. I want you to get your communion. You know, Jesus gave His all for us. So I don't think it's too big a thing to ask that we give our all for Him. So I want us to stand. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Because I want you to make a commitment to make Jesus your life, not just part of your life. That you'd look and see and seek after what God has for you in your workplace, in your house, in your friendships, your pursuits, your decisions, that your direction would be for Jesus. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I come to you today on this Good Friday to make you the reason I live. 
I don't want to just have you in my life. I want you to be my life. Help me to serve you with all my heart. Not out of servitude, but gratitude. Not with slave resignation, but with passion and joy. Forgive me for the areas of my life I haven't invited you into. (coughs) You're welcome in every part of my life. Help me to live in the purpose that you have for me. I want to find my that. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Jesus. 